Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Warfare Podcast. I'm your host, James Rogers, and all this week I'm with the Waterloo Uncovered team at the Waterloo Battlefield. I'm standing there right now. They've handed me a metal detector, and we're finding everything from musket balls to bits of howitzers, and they've even found cannonballs here before. What the team is doing is truly remarkable. They're adding a whole new layer to the history of the Battle of Waterloo. In fact, it's so impressive that we're going to hold a special, exclusive, dedicated episode here on the Warfare Podcast on Wednesday at midday. So make sure you tune in on Wednesday at midday, 12 o'clock UK time to the Warfare podcast. And believe me, it's worth it. There's quite the exclusive. Now today we're talking about a very different part of history. We're talking about NATO. And the reason why is because NATO is expanding and enlarging. It has potentially two new members, Sweden and Finland, who are joining in the face of renewed Russian aggression. And it is having a whole range of new forces coming up as part of a rapid response force growing up to 300,000 troops. So the question is, what does this mean in terms of the full history of NATO? When has NATO expanded and enlarged before? To help us understand this, we have my good friend, Professor Sten Runing on the podcast. Sten is Professor of International Security at SDU in Denmark, and he is the author of a forthcoming book to mark the 75th anniversary of NATO with Yale University Press. Sten is the world expert who helps us understand when and why NATO has expanded and enlarged previously in history, and why what is happening now is so important. So here is Sten Runing on NATO expansion and enlargement. Enjoy. Hi, Stan. Welcome to the Warfare Podcast. How are you doing? Thank you, James. I'm doing good, and thank you for having me. Not a problem at all. It's a distinct pleasure because I have never recorded one of our Warfare Podcasts in my own office before, in my own home. So it is great to have you here in Denmark, surrounded by, well, we've got General Jack D. Ripper smoking a cigar with a, a puff of atomic smoke coming out of it on the walls. And then we've got everything from the anatomy of a soldier to see it, shoot it on the side. So this is a good place to talk about the history of NATO. It's very inspiring. Thank you for having me <laughs> as the first guest ever in your office. We aim to inspire. This is the key. <laughs> All right. Well, also, while we're here, congratulations on signing your new 
book. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Well, thank you for bringing that up. It's a hugely exciting project for me. It's really career-defining in some ways. It's a magnificent moment for me. I signed a book contract with Yale University Press to write a history of NATO, uh, beginning in you know at the very beginning, so 1949. But I'm going to take it a bit further back into the Second World War years, and then bring it up to the present and tell the story of what type of pattern do we see in NATO, and what does that mean for NATO today. This sounds like the perfect time to be writing this book. And the team over at Yale University Press are great. When can we get our hands on this? You can count on this book being out in April 2024. Can we hold you to that? You can hold me to that, because that's when NATO turns 75, and uh, we're working very determinedly to make it for that deadline. Okay. Well, let's head back 74 and a bit years, then, to the origins of NATO. Why was NATO formed and who were those founding members? So NATO was formed because essentially some of the West European countries, they wanted to tie the United States into a permanent security relationship with themselves. So having gone through two world wars, they felt now is the time to get over this world wars and stabilize European security with the help of a permanent U.S. entanglement. And so these countries were, early on, they were Britain, France, and the Benelux countries, Belgium, Netherlands, and Luxembourg. And they were trying to entice the U.S. to join them. And what then happened was that the U.S. were gearing off at this because there was a Cold War and uh, Senator Vandenberg and the Senate, they were sort of internationalists. They had gotten an appetite for sort of building international order. And uh, what then happened was that Canada signaled to everyone that it's really important we join it because if not, we're going to be very much aloof because we don't want to be left just with the United States and a bilateral. So this starts to become a club. This starts to become a club. And so Canada joins and then the US says, okay, if we're going to join this, we need all the stepping stones to get to Europe because in the days they didn't have the planes and the ships that they had today. So they had to stop and they had to refuel to get to Europe. And so they bring in the North Atlantic stepping stones, which are... Iceland, Norway, and Denmark, Denmark because of Greenland, and Portugal because of the Azores Islands. And one outstanding issue is Italy. Italy had sort of been on the German side, but then they flipped when they... uh, We know that all too well, yeah. When the Mussolini government fell, and there was a huge debate, but in the end, Italy joined. So Italy was among the original 12 signatories of the North Atlantic Pact. And Britain's big thing at the time was, uh, of course, the passage to India and uh, its imperial relations. And it was very keen on the Mediterranean. But they kept that as an aside, except for Italy. So it took a few more years of of, uh, discussions and headache to figure out what are we going to do with Greece and Turkey. But they joined the NATO in 1952. But they they were not among the original 12. Okay, so that's the first time we started to see NATO enlarge, 1952. When do we start to see that happen again? Two years later. Okay. When Germany, which has become its own country, not fully sovereign, that would happen after the fall of the Berlin Wall. But Germany joins NATO in 1954, 1955, when they realize that with the Cold War going on, we need German manpower. But German manpower could not happen if Germany was not present in the alliance at a political level as one of the allies. 
you couldn't get German soldiers to serve in the French army or in the Belgian army or the Dutch army. You needed the German army and then thus you needed the German government to be in NATO. Unless it was the French Foreign Legion. French Foreign Legion. But then, you know, that, that was in Africa. But, yeah. uh, and so, so France came up with this uh, design for integrating Germany into a, a very ambitious European Union at the time, that French Union, and that, that all fell apart because the French turned out to be uncomfortable with that. And then... The answer became, if we need Germany to be one on par with the rest of us, and think back, this is nine years after the Second World War, and yeah. the, the, the history is very much alive at that point in time, then you couldn't just rearm Germany and say, you're on your own. You can do as you did 10 years ago. So the answer became, Germany then has to be in a framework, and if it cannot be the European Defense Union with France, it has to be NATO. And so Germany entered NATO at the point. West Germany? West Germany. So the Federal Republic of Germany, yes, FRG. Okay. The East German, the German Democratic Republic, which was not democratic, was with the Soviet Union. Ah, it's, it's semantics of names. Yeah, a, democratic wonderful. in a title always covers up a multiple of sins, doesn't it? You want to be suspicious of that. That's you, true. You do. Okay, so but, but that actually leads us in nicely to the fact that NATO was most specifically formed then to counter, to put a balance of power against the Soviet Union. Yes. And NATO was, at that point, there was an overwhelming fear of a major Soviet armoured attack into Western Europe. But there was a sense that a, the lack of security among people, the people of the Western European countries, would make them vulnerable to communist ideology and thus subvert the West from within. So NATO was both a bulwark against this armoured attack from the East, but also a framework of security that would allow democracy to develop within. And it has continued to serve this function until the present. Well, that brings us right up to the present day mm -hmm. and the turmoil, tense times that we live in today. Mm -hmm. And it's been announced very, very recently that NATO will expand in two ways. It'll expand and it will enlarge. It will enlarge if this goes through, in terms of Sweden and Finland becoming new members of NATO. And it will expand in terms of its rapid response forces to any sort of Russian incursion by increasing its rapid response force from, is it 30 or 40,000 to 300,000 troops? Mm -hmm. Is this, again, all about trying to counter Russia? Is this the same old NATO doing what it was set up to do? It is. And in the sense that NATO has always been there to create a foundation of stability. Because once you have the basics of security covered, then your political systems, your democracies, they can turn to all the other things that are important in a democracy. Healthcare, culture old age policy, youth policy, trade, all the good things we like. But if the security goes away, anxiety creeps in and out goes stability. And so NATO's post-Cold War role began very early. It began in late 1989 when the Berlin Wall fell in November. Very quickly, it raised the question, this will probably lead to the unification of Germany. So the Democratic Republic, which is not democratic, yep. will be swallowed up by the Federal Republic, which is democratic and thus Western. And then become NATO. Well, so that was the question. What does Europe do? What, what do we all do 
if a big Germany returns. Mm. Because last time we had big Germany was in the 1940s yep. with, with the World War. And so there was a prospect of something hugely destabilizing going on in Europe in, in 1989, 1990. And there was a unified Germany unbounded, unintegrated in some major institution that would create a stabilizing framework around Germany. And what happened essentially was that the Americans, uh, President Herbert Walker Bush and his Secretary of State Baker, they were very determined that German unification has to happen within NATO because we don't want, and they were right, we don't want a Europe that goes back to the future, back to the 1930s, back to uncontrolled balances of power and ultimately war. We can't have that. And so they were adamant German unification has to happen within NATO. And that became NATO's first enlargement because NATO enlarged from the old Federal Republic of Germany to the new Germany, which included the old Democratic Republic of Germany, which was not democratic. Which is a substantial growth. And, and arguably, you couldn't have this talk of 300,000 NATO troops in a, in a rapid response force without the inclusion of Germany. Is, is that how it's, it's going to work? Is it going to work? Is that, is that a viable position? Is this something that's even achievable? Is this a pipe dream? Right. So if you will allow me, James, yeah. before I answer that question, step back just a little bit. So with Germany and the alliance, there was all the rest of Eastern Europe between the crumbling Soviet empire that became Russia and the, all the new countries in between. And they all wanted to join NATO because they saw we don't want to be with Russia. We want to be with the West. And uh, so NATO enlarged and enlarged and enlarged. And uh, so that was the process. And what NATO offered Russia in return for enlarging, because this was obviously uh, Difficult. You know, the, the Cold yeah, War absolutely. opponent, uh, enlarging. And uh, what NATO offered was that we'll do this without erecting any military structure in the new countries. So in essence, NATO was saying, we'll enlarge but demilitarize. Mm -hmm. So we'll be politically larger but militarily weaker. And that worked for as long as Russia was a NATO partner that yes. they were part of the enterprise. And the enterprise was European stability. But that enterprise cracked in 2014 when Russia annexed Crimea and Ukraine and started a proxy war in the Donbass region. And NATO was sort of hesitant, you know, how are we going to deal with this? But in February of this year, when Russia launched a full-scale war on Ukraine, it dawned fully on NATO that this is a new ball game. And so what NATO has done is said, we need to remilitarize because we are militarily weak all the way from essentially Berlin to Russia. Yeah. It's there for Russia to intimidate. And we need to build up forces of reassurance that will reassure allies that we will come to their defense and that will keep Russia out. And that's a huge effort because it's, that's a lot of land and there are a lot of Russian forces, even though they're now preoccupied in Ukraine. And according to the recent summit, that means 300,000 troops on high alert, ready to go, ready to defend the gates of NATO in the Eastern Europe. Now, that said, the 300,000 is a headline goal. It's essentially, um, it sounds great. It's, it's part of NATO's political communication. We'll build 300,000 high readiness troops. But what it is, in fact, it's a starting point for NATO to think about what does it really take to deter Russia? 
And right now we think it's 300,000. But we haven't said how quickly must they react? Where must they be positioned? Do they all need to be at the gate? Can some of them be at home? All of that needs to be worked out. Who's going to pay for it? Who's Well, that's going to be the Europeans, but who amongst the Europeans <laughs> right, are going to yeah. pay for it? And so all of that needs to be worked out. But it's the logic of this is NATO needs to remilitarize because Russia has turned out to be a threat. <laughs> the Europeans need to do most of that hard work. And now NATO will go home and figure out how this is going to happen. And if you recall that NATO was one of NATO's founding purposes was to deal with insecurity in the population, to make sure that the population would stay committed to democratic governance. And insecurity in Sweden and Finland has now led them to ask for membership of NATO. And so NATO is, in a, in a way, back to the point of origins. They are enlarging to Scandinavia, to Sweden and Finland, to reassure those populations that it's worthwhile to be democratic, you can be part of a democratic security club, and we will help you keep Russia out. From Wondery, American History Tellers is a podcast that explores extraordinary events from the history of the United States and brings them to life. And in an all-new season, you'll learn about a tragedy that is often overlooked in American history, the Great Mississippi Flood. In the summer of 1926, the American Midwest saw rainfall like it had never seen before, and there was only one place for all that rain to go, the Mississippi River. In total, the flood submerged 27,000 square miles in seven states, destroying crops, paralyzing transportation, and washing away hundreds of farms and communities. By the time the flood waters receded, as many as 1,000 Americans were dead, and more than 600,000 were left homeless. Learn about the forgotten history of one of America's worst natural disasters and how the racism, exploitation, and betrayal that followed it transformed the American landscape forever. Listen to American History Tellers on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen one week early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So this is no longer about capitalism versus communism. This is about democracy versus autocracy. This is an ideological line of which has been drawn in the mud of Europe to which NATO, and I've never really thought about it in that way, so thank you for raising that point, about NATO being the guardian of democracy in Europe. And so Sweden and Finland feel like they have to join in order to protect themselves, protect their people, and protect their democratic rights. That's right, that's right. But you listen to Putin, and it sounds like NATO is the aggressor. You listen to you, it sounds relatively reasonable. But Putin says that Finland and Sweden join, then... Putin's going to have to start moving his troops to the border. He starts to have a security dilemma. He starts to see this as being potentially a, an offensive move by NATO. And he has to start really militarising those borders with Finland and Sweden. Is there a chance that this could really heighten and destabilise the situation in Europe? NATO is gaining almost 2,000 kilometres of border with Russia. So this is serious. But the big difference between Sweden and Finland and then the Eastern European countries that NATO took in in the 1990s and 2000s is that these two countries, Sweden and Finland, are very capable states. And especially the Finns, they have thought very long and very hard about how do they deter the Russians from moving into Finland. And as an independent, neutral or non-aligned country, they were on their own. and But they were still facing the Russians. So the Finns, they bring a lot of defense planning, defense thought, and defense capability. They're very capable in the defense. Uh, and they've got their own history of this. They've got their own history. Finlandization mixed yes. in with the Winter War and everything else. Exactly. I mean, people were looking to learn lessons from Finland to help Ukraine to yes. try and defeat the, the Russian forces. Yes. So Finland is a good partner for NATO to have. Yes. Both are excellent partners, and they bring a lot of capacity to the alliance. Some of the Eastern European countries that joined in the 1990s and the 2000s, they had less capacity, more of a need for being helped to democratize the countries and transform the countries into a democratic and uh, free market standards that we have. But Finland and Sweden, they will bring capacity straight away, and the Finns are not intimidated by Russia. Well, they might not be intimidated by Russia, but are they intimidated by Turkey? We've not mentioned Turkey. Turkey is the elephant in the room here. I mean, Turkey-NATO relations, Turkey-US relations. I've been sat in the room, Sten, when I've been lecturing uh, at uh, NATO command level courses, where you've had Turkish officers in the room saying that mysterious forces are, are funding terrorists that attack Turkey in places like Syria. And these, of course, are like the, the YPG and the PKK. And it's been a real point of contention between the US and Turkey for a long time. There's been a lot of fragmentation. Turkey also has a really difficult game to play, putting a, a, a balancing role between Russia and NATO, between Russia 
and the West. Turkey has massive economic links to Russia, but it's also got very important national security links and industrial links to the Western nations and to Ukraine, where a lot of its weapons are also built. So, with all of this in mind, will Turkey ever let Finland and Sweden in to NATO? I think we can trust that now that Turkey at the summit, the Madrid summit, they signed on to the invitation, it will happen. But we can also trust that Turkey will do another round of bargaining to get some benefit from that. They will erect barriers and it will be difficult, but in the end, Sweden and Finland will join. There are two stories about Turkey in this. One is the one we hear most often in this neck of the woods in Scandinavia, where we have sympathy for Sweden and Finland, is that President Erdogan of Turkey has been playing a double game. He informally said yes to Sweden and Finland when they informally asked every ally, would you accept that we apply? And Erdogan said yes, and then in public he said, hold on, I have something to bargain. So he was playing a double game. The other story about Turkey, which I think we should keep in mind, is that Turkey is in a very, very troubled neighborhood, and they have had erratic support for their own role in that neighborhood. They have wars to the south in Syria. They have huge inflows of refugees. They do have a terrorist problem with the Kurds. And they have the Caucasus, where there's trouble in that neighborhood. They have their own troubled history with Armenia. And to the north, they have their age-old enemies, the Greeks, but I'm not going to touch on that. But they have the Black Sea. And Although the Greek issue is important as well, because they're both in NATO. They're both in NATO. Okay, but that's for another podcast. That, that's for another podcast. So, But they have the Black Sea, which is essentially becoming a, a Russian-Turkish lake. And the Turks, they don't want any trouble in that lake, as long as they have so much trouble in their other neighborhoods. Uh, which is obviously a difficult for NATO partners to understand when they are fighting or they're helping the Ukrainians fight Russia, and that touches into the Black Sea. But also the, the Turks, they want NATO to emphasize in the strategic documents that this is not only about Russia, so the eastern dimension of NATO, this is also about the southern dimension. So all the instability and the terrorism and the bad governance that impacts on Turkey and other southern uh, dimension countries of NATO, that needs to be really respected in the northern part of the alliance and in, in North America. And so that's the second story here with Turkey. And so, so Turkey's carving its own spheres of influence. It is. I'm not trying to excuse Turkey here, but I'm saying both stories are in play. They've got politics at play. Yeah. Yes. And I think what we saw at the Madrid summit was that this was worked very neatly. You know, obviously, these diplomats are skilled, but the southern dimension of NATO, the southern flank issue, was played up. It got attention. And even in the so-called strategic concept, which is sort of a type of mission statement for NATO, it was played up. It was more important than China. Ah. And so that, that tells you something. And at the same time, there was a bit of bargaining going on. So Turkey got access to you know, probably some F-16s and some F-16 modernization kits in the U.S. And that led Turkey to say, okay, we'll go in along and invite Finland and Sweden. But there's still going to be another round of this. But in the end, Finland and Sweden will get in. I'm, I'm certain of that. But Turkey is, is Turkey, but it's also speaking on behalf of some of the southern countries that don't want to see every ounce of energy in NATO being spent on Russia. And it's, in a sense, they have a point. So when we start to look at this and, and frame this as a big picture issue, 
when I talk to my friends in NATO, they start to say to me that the discussions that are taking place is that the best way to look at this is that there is a new Iron Curtain forming across Europe. And you said it yourself, this is a 2,000 kilometre extension of the NATO border with Russia. Is it the best way to think about it? Is this a new Iron Curtain? In a way it is, and in a way it isn't. Uh, the Iron Curtain was formed where two radically different social systems met. And in a way, the social system of Russia today is not that different. Most ordinary Russians would like to be like you and I, but the regime is different. So back to your point about democracy and autocracy, the roots of the autocracy down into society, the way it, it ties in with the social and economic organization of society is different. So it's not that big of a conflict. It's still very serious. But I wouldn't call it a Cold War. I would probably not call it an Iron Curtain. But I would call it a containment and deterrence of a determined revisionist autocracy. Well, Stan, thank you so much for your time. You're going to have to tell us where we can read more of your work. And also, where can we follow you on, on social media and hear more of your takes on these issues as they evolve and happen around the world? Well, James, I write regularly on various platforms and uh, I tend to tweet whenever that happens. So people can follow me. My, my handle is at Stan Running. And so I'm easy to spot and find on, on these social medias. And I would certainly welcome people to, to follow me and, uh, and also get in touch if they have any comments for me. I love to hear from people. Well, we will put a link to your Twitter in our bio. And also, you've got to get back on to us when that book is ready. We need to mark that 75th anniversary and we've got to have you back on. But right now, I think I owe you a whiskey. So I'm going to draw this to a close. Thank you so much, then. Thank you, James. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. But before you go, a reminder that you can now follow along online on Twitter at HistoryHitWW2, on Instagram at James Rogers History, and on TikTok also at James Rogers History. You can also subscribe to our free Warfare Wednesdays newsletter via the link in the show notes. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hip. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.